5678. Hello and welcome to a new episode of 5678, a podcast about dance training. My name is Rebecca Bergstold and today's guest is Rachel Tess. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have you. Nice to be here. Could you introduce yourself? Yes. Um, yeah, my name is Rachel Tess, as you said. I am American and Swedish now. I have my Swedish citizenship. I am a dancer, a choreographer, a curator, and the director of a residency center in Skåne, in Knislinge, called Milvus Artistic Research Center, or MARC. Um, and I'm also a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Mm. My first question to get into your background is how did you start to dance? I was around three years old, I think, when my mom put me in gymnastics. And I really liked it. But along with that gymnastics training, they also make you do ballet for posture and rhythm and yeah, spatial clarity. I guess there's a lot of reasons why they do that. And I liked the ballet classes better than I liked the gymnastics. So around uh, age four or five, my mom um, sent me to Oregon Ballet Theater. I'm from Oregon, Portland, Oregon. Mm. And then um, I started taking ballet classes there. They also had, I mean, I think at that age, it's creative movement a little bit, not so much ballet. But um, uh, ballet, eventually flamenco, a lot of flamenco, um, African dance, Mm. And modern dance, very mixed up version of modern dance, but a lot of Limon and Graham, uh, but not called as such at that time. Um, so that's why I started my training. And I went all the way through my training up until I uh, decided to stay uh, with the ballet company there for two years professionally. And I was really young. And then um, during that time, the company I was dancing for was directed by a v pretty young, pretty young director uh, named James Canfield, uh, who had been at Joffrey Ballet. So it had that heritage of Joffrey, like hyper physical ballet and modern dance also, like classic modern dance. So we would do pieces from Paul Taylor and we would do pieces from um, uh, Limon. Moore's Pavan was in the rep. So I got to do those pieces as well. And then we, we did um, a piece by B.B. Miller, who um, works with contact improvisation. So while I was doing this hyper-classical ballet, like Balanchine ballets and um, you know all the old classics, I got these other experiences in which I felt much more comfortable. And I decided to go to the Juilliard School. So I have my bachelor's degree from the Juilliard School. Um, yeah, where... I thought I was going to go and take my point shoes off and cut my hair really short and never do ballet ever again. Um, but they have a, had at the time have, I guess, still a pretty fantastic ballet training as well. So there I learned how to really like relate all those things to each other. Um, how does my modern training or contemporary training relate to what I'm doing in ballet? And I still danced on point when I left there, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what it was in the beginning that made you like ballet more than gymnastics? Or what made you continue with that? It was really hard for me. My I have um, extreme internal rotation and very little external rotation. So I think some, somewhere early on someone told me I couldn't. And then said also you should be... A modern dancer or you could maybe go dance flamenco or you're not going to be a ballet dancer and the second it was quite when I was quite young that they told me that as well I mean it's not a new that's like not a new story for most dancers but I think a lot of dancers have those stories but I once somebody said you can't then I was like um this is a fun problem to solve <laughs> so there was something in that of insisting but also I think I have memories that the first like creative movement classes within a ballet ballet school context that I had. I think I connected to the musicality probably. Um, and also like uh, largely to being creative and imagination. 
And those things I really connected to. Even still, I remember being like, you know, 11 and doing Swan Lake in summer program and maybe not really doing the steps quite right. But boy, I was really into being a swan. So probably those parts of it interested me. Yeah. And uh, how was Juilliard? How was that education? And how was mm. ballet different there? Mm. Um, <sighs> the background I came from in ballet, um, well, Joffrey Ballet actually has a tolerance, had, I don't know how it is now, but had a tolerance for bodies of kind of all types within reason, within the kind of, yeah, American ballet world. Um It was still really aimed at um, a very specific ideal that was not within my range, my physical range. And because I jumped into a company and had not had the training to understand how to work with the range that I had, I, um, when I got to Juilliard, they put me, I mean, they, I went from a ballet company into beginning ballet at Juilliard. And this was totally fantastic for me because I, I, I horribly um, like uh, humiliating in in some sense. Although I think I never would have said it then, but I, I was yeah upset that I was going backwards. I think we didn't jump in class for like maybe two months, and we only did all the preparation so that you would be aligned correctly in order to get there. But after all of that, I really learned how to work uh, with the body that I have. Mm. I think also in the ballet school where I was, if you didn't have all of that, like, yeah, ex let's let's just call it the kind of extreme, mm, stereotypical ballerina standing with like, you know, uh, the feet completely rotated out and the knees go over the toes in that position, you feel you're like falling short all of the time or you're trying to meet an ideal Or you have an image in your head of the body you should have and you're constantly working towards that rather than working with what you actually have. So the difference for me was that I was able to work with what I had and that was okay. Um, also, I felt like I landed in a place where um, ah, in the ballet company, I was uh, always praised for being creative, musical, um, maybe a little bit different and getting into kind of like niche parts so to say like um but you can do this like kind of awkward thing or yeah so you find that you're um being being uh, positioned in a very particular way or being um framed in a very specific way and when I got to Juilliard most of the other students had that that thing of being creative of wanting to make their own work of um having another way of looking at it other than trying to fit into you know, uh, like a stereotypical version of what a man and a woman do in ballet on stage. Also probably because we were learning other techniques. So, so yeah, for me, it was also a place where I got a lot of support. Um, and where you could talk in class um, and ask questions. It took me a really long time to be able to do that. But I, I came from a background where you like quietly figure things out on your own. Mm. And if you don't, you don't. Um, there's not necessarily someone who's going to support you in that. So uh, when I got to Juilliard, it was really like having, you know, nine or 10 different mentors all of the time who were personally concerned with your development in the program. Mm. And quite honest with how you were doing. Um, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of, I had the feeling of uh, extreme support while I was there. Mm. Yeah. What happened after Juilliard? <laughs> I worked for, while I was at Juilliard, I worked for a dance company called Lar Lubavitch Dance Company <laughs> um, for two of the years when I was in school. But I really, 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 at that time, Juilliard was sort of um, gearing students to go to Europe instead of staying in New York. Um, I mean, some people stayed in New York, but definitely the idea was that you would go to like NDT or you would go to Batsheva or you would maybe go to Gothenburg as a stepping stone to going to Coburg. Or so there was this like kind of, um, yeah, this sort of set up, this, these steps that they, they kind of had um, placed value on. 
and I ended up um, getting a job at Les Grands Ballets Canadiens in Montreal, where there was a mixed repertoire. So I could still dance on point. I went there and could do the classical work, but it was a mixed rep. So we did um, yeah, pieces of Ohad, pieces from Stain Salis, uh, pieces of Didi Veldman, uh, Jean-Christophe Mayou. <laughs> so that's how mixed it was. And then like 36 Nutcrackers at the same time. Um, so I, I kind of went back to where I came from in one way. It's just, it was the at that time the choreographers that I was interested in working in. But I also thought that it was a, a good um, stepping stone towards going to one of the companies that I wanted to be in. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so if you think about all the dance training that mm-hmm. you've been through in your life. Could you mention some things that you are grateful for that mm. it has been training? Mm. I was extremely grateful for the ballet teachers I had my first year at, at Juilliard. Um, it was a woman named Andra Corvino and I took her sister's class on the weekends, Ernesto Corvino. Um, And it was, uh, I don't know, kind of mind-blowing for me that I could spend time with ballet in that way and, um, like, really understand it through my own body, as I said before. Um, And also kind of be able to stand outside of the thing that I thought it was and understand it relative to gravity and relative to um, my spatial awareness and relative to, um, like throwing and catching or like suspension and release rather than I need your foot to look this way. So that was super important for me. Um, And then also we had a teacher named Laura Glenn for Limon Technique, but she worked with us with contact improvisation and um, also yeah, so so we did like kind of basic limon classes with her, and then had these other other classes where maybe she would throw a little release technique in, or you would yeah work through contact improvisation. And those classes were important for me because I think to some degree I couldn't sense what I was doing. Sometimes I was so used to being like producing things very quickly in a ballet company um, environment where we were doing creations also. But I had this very specific like perception of myself that sometimes didn't allow me to like really f- sense what I was doing while I was doing it. Mm. So, so, so she would say really fantastic things to me like, I see that you know what shape you're in, but can you feel what you're doing? And insisted upon it always. Um, yeah, also um, a composition teacher that was very important for me at Juilliard, uh, Pat Catterson who um, she she had asked us to make solos for our colleagues. I made a solo for one of my yes fellow students at the time, and I just thought it was so bad because it didn't work. He and I were good friends, but it just didn't work. It didn't work between us, and the outcome was very fuzzy according to my standards at that time. It was like my second year in school. And then she praised me so much after for failing, and she was like, what's the problem? Why Why is it that you think you can't fail? Um, I I guess also Svigotteiner, to a degree, who I took classes with outside of school um, for helping me to understand, like, how to put air in everything and to really be able to, like, use what I was doing with ballet to experience movement. So those would be, I guess, some things. There's probably others. There's things that happened later in my career that are um, were pretty important also in terms of um, like how I thought about movement, how I thought about making choreography, also how I th- how I perceived my own body. Um, that would be uh, Benoit Lachambre later, much but my, my my much 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 later. Yeah. And what was that? Um, I after Les Grands Ballets and after. Two other companies, I ended up at Kohlberg, Kohlberg Ballet, Kilberg Ballet, and did a piece with Benoit Lachambre, who works with somatics, like, I would say quite broadly, um, and has really like solidified his own practice within that world. 
And um, yeah, for me, it opened up so many different channels in my body and ways of understanding the material that was already in my body. So I had learned so many things. I danced in quite a lot of repertory companies. And you get all this stuff kind of like um, thrown at you, thrown into you. Yes, you have agency, but when you're quite young, maybe you don't realize that you have that agency. And so all of a sudden you have this body that's super full of different stuff. You could take almost like any choice at any time You probably have some certain preferences. Maybe you're not aware of why you have those preferences or what types of politics are involved in those preferences. Maybe, maybe. Um, And so for me, it was kind of this opening up of, whoa, I have all this stuff in here. What am I doing with it? And that I could actively process it kind of no matter what process I was in, like what what choreography I was working with. Um, Yeah. Nice. How did you start to teach? Oh, <laughs> I was a scholarship student um, in Oregon. So I think starting when I was maybe as young as like 10 or 11, if you're on scholarship, you have to go and demonstrate mm-hmm. for the younger classes. Sometimes you get asked to teach them things. So I would say even though that was not maybe a teaching position, I feel like I've always been in that kind of a role. Maybe even you're like the older kid that the younger kids are looking at and they ask you questions. So there for me is a little bit where teaching started. And um, even when I was in the ballet company in Oregon, I was teaching already. Uh, There was a a modern dance company um, in town. Well, there were several, but there was one particularly. And they um, asked me to come and teach in the summer. So I did that. At Juilliard, it's a little bit built into the education that you are constantly asked about what type of a class you would make. Um, And I think I taught in the summers there. I went home and taught in Oregon. So, yeah. So maybe I've always been teaching to a degree. Um, mm, Both ballet and modern dance, I guess. Yeah, so I, it, it feels a little bit like every context I put myself in after that came along with some type of teaching. Mm. Um, when I was in Jotoboris Operan, uh, in the dance company there, I taught for Svenska Ballettskolan in, in Jotobori. Or um, at Kohlberg, I was teaching in the summers back home at a small dance school. So that's always been something I've been doing. Yeah. What yeah. do you enjoy about teaching today? Mm. Oh, today... Um, I find that if I'm interested in what I'm doing, and it took me a long time to realize that, if I'm interested in in what I'm proposing, and I'm interested in it while I am doing it with the people I'm teaching to, that they tend to get more interested in it. <laughs> so that's one thing that I really, really enjoy because it allows me to like reinvestigate my own practice as a dancer. Um, I enjoy the amount of information I have at the moment being a, an older dancer <laughs> or what's called an older dancer these days, I guess. Um, I've always enjoyed how different materials are processed by different people. So in that way, I can get very frustrated if I'm asked to just kind of teach daily class for the sake of getting people warm. This can frustrate me. Um but spending real time with a group of people and finding out how each person is processing the material and finding the right words or the right cues or the right way of dancing with them in order for them to understand what I'm trying to teach. That's really like enjoyable, yeah. Mm. And I know that you teach a lot of children groups Mm -hmm. at Vanos. Mm -hmm. Could you give some examples of what you do <laughs> when you teach yeah. the kids? Uh, at Vanos Konst, I, I've been teaching there since, um, I had an exhibition there in 2014. So along with that exhibition, we were exploring different physicalities. And the first groups of students that we were teaching there were like really young, like maybe five, six years old. So we watered the physicalities down to um, like qualities more. And we made a dance parade <laughs> where they worked through these different 
yeah, qualities um, or different tasks, you could say. So we had them like going through the park and um, scribbling with their body and then going in slow motion with their bodies and then hopping. And so really kind of like basic stuff that produced different rhythms or different sensations for them. Um, and then had them sit down in a classroom and build their ideal space for dance in a shoebox. <laughs> so that was one one version of a workshop there. Um, the most recent teaching I did was for 10 to 12 year olds. And we decided, um, since there's an increased interest in dance in the municipality in general, that we would try to, instead of offering dance within the context of the sculpture park right away and getting into, okay, how do bodies relate to sculptures and space from the get-go, we decided that we would do a set of more, um, yeah, just dance class. Here you're going to get your dance class. And then we're going to take it into the sculpture park and make a performance. And this dance class for kids who, some some do do go to dance class, but a lot of them don't. So, so for me, it felt really important in the beginning of those classes to figure out what they actually think dance is. Um, to the degree that sometimes I'll let them teach me what they think dance is. It's a lot of TikTok and a lot of <laughs> Fortnite. And then sometimes... I came to realize also that like st students that age are really interested in things that are extremely complex. Like they want to do tricks. Mm. Um, so I would go through a warm up, the same one I teach with companies sometimes actually, with them. But I would kind of follow their rhythm. Like if they got really, really, really interested in turning, we would just spend like another twenty minutes turning. Um. They really, really, really liked passing through different techniques. So I um, I would like propose a thing and then see how they reacted to it and then propose another thing and see how they reacted to it. And I would say it was a total mix of like anything from like contemporary dance strategies to like very, very, very basic foresight technologies to ballet. Sometimes um, I was really surprised. A lot of little boys, they were so, so interested in how they could go on demi point because it was hard. Like, <laughs> that's difficult and it looks super. How can I do it? I want to do it now. So we were spending um, some time, like, in this. I had them for an hour. No, I had them for two hours, actually. Uh, we were spending some time with those things. So I always make a score for myself of different things I can propose um, that warms them up and then like leads them into bigger movement. But whatever they get interested in, sometimes I'll just go ride that. Since they don't, most of them don't take dance class. So whatever, yeah, whatever like way I can kind of hook them into being interested in what we're doing, then I'll take that and just explore it. Um, yeah. Nice. And because you're also here now making a piece at mm -hmm. Nordance, mm -hmm. which is also for kids, for second graders? Six to eight years old. Okay, yeah. And a little bit above that age group, I think, as well. Mm. Yeah, it can go. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So the piece is called Mascot. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not uh, personally in it, but I've mm. been following the process mm. a little bit and talking to the dancers that mm. are in the piece. Mm. And as I understand it, you have been uh, constructing these practices that is sort of the foundation of the work. Mm -hmm. And I would like to ask you how you went about mm. that. How did you <gasps> introduce what a practice could be and how did you mm. construct those? Mm. Um, first off, for me, movement practice is something that you, where you, um, it's something you can practice. <laughs> so so um, you develop a set of parameters that kind of frame and hold that, that practice for you. And then you can choose the duration in which you do it. But it is a thing that you can work on daily. Uh, and we worked with Body Mind Centering in this project I, because of the experience I had with Benoit La Chambre. I can go back to that. It was this moment where I felt I could open my body up 
to like kind of endless possibilities. But I get to also dream my bodies and my body in different ways. Like I could imagine um, that there was uh, a connection between my hand and my heart, and I could shift the way my body was organized through my hand mm, or my heart. So, so, so I wondered a little bit what would that those types of things made for children do to the way to do to um, what how they dream their bodies. So we started with the dancers with body mind centering uh, practices uh, taught by Patricia Vasquez, who's the rehearsal assistant and artistic coordinator. And we worked through all the different systems of the body. So if you um, basically, if you consider the body as a container for all of your experience, and that over time, those experiences that you have in your life shape the way in which your body is organized, Body mind centering would be a way of going back in and addressing how those things are functioning. And maybe it could be used for therapeutic purposes. But in this case, we were really using it to kind of dream the body in different ways. But not lay down and dream the body in different ways. Literally, like, dream it by activating it. And um, I should say our bodies. And uh, so what we did is we did those exercises and then we um, allowed, we, we, we proposed that, that the dancers would draw, first of all, just paint, whatever that was for you. So if we explored the th three different layers of the skin, they could then paint that or draw it. Mm -hmm. And then they would write on the back of that page, whatever it was, maybe three things that interested them. Like uh, when I did this, I felt my body when I when I worked with the three layers of my skin and panning in and out of it through touch. This is one one thing that we were doing. Um, I felt I'm I'm now I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I felt like I was a hologram. Okay, what if I want to be a hologram? And and that was okay. That could be a practice. Mm. So you could call that hologramming, <laughs> or I am a hologram, or however you want to you you want to title it. And then you would find a set of clues for how to get into that thing. Then the rest of us would watch and say, okay, what is it doing? What is it doing? Does it give me a sense of proximity? Does it give me a sense of touch? Does it um, make me feel like you're very, 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 very far away? And then all of a sudden you're very, 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 very near. Or um, maybe it's doing something completely different. Like it makes you look like a ghost. Mm. So we would talk about it very broadly, see what it was doing, then add more and more kind of parameters. And those could be like time or um, different like uh, yeah, physical coaching also like, okay, maybe you're not sensing your heels so much when you're doing that. So your hologram, it, well, it drops off at your ankle. Let's talk about what that is. Mm. Add that to your practice. So all of a sudden you have this set of tools you can use inside of it. Then we spent time teaching the practices to each other so that we could understand them through other people's bodies. Mm -hmm. You were there for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some of the practices, I can just say titles. Um, there's one practice called Redesign Body where you imagine that like your feet are your head and your trunk or your hips, and it goes all the way through the, the whole body. Um, another one is called water container, uh, where the dancer imagines that all the containers in the body, there's many of them everywhere. There's lots of containers, and they're full of water, but the water's moving in different directions, or the water is moving um, yeah, in different um, rhythms, or it's so there's many different forces all at the same time. What happens if they all get going and uh, they're all going fast eventually, but at slightly different rhythms? What does that produce? Um, and another is called temperature ride, where the dancer imagines that you can heat up the interior of the bones in the body. And that then you can ride the, diff the modulation of the temperature that, that that produces through the whole body. Mm. <laughs> also in the beginning of your process when I was uh, passing by the mm. studio it was always a lot of 
stuff yeah. in the studio <laughs> and it kept moving and changing yeah. and different constructions yeah. appeared mm. and I've also been looking at some other of your works online and it <laughs> seems like you have a lot of interest <laughs> in like props or things or yeah. materials um, yeah what yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> for me it's a lot about um, textures I think and a lot about color lately Uh, I think I've always had a sense for um, setting up a color scheme in a room, but not been so aware of what it's doing to me physically. Uh, so lately, it's a lot about color. And, I, and I, that's not very defined. I'm not sure what that is yet, to be honest with you. But um, in this project, Mascot, we're actually going into the schools and we're making a dance parade with the students in the hallway so that they can experience their body through movement maybe start to dream their body through these different movement practices that the dancers are sharing with them. And then we go into the classroom and they build a dance mascot for themselves. And they build it on the dancers. So the who's in charge shifts pretty quickly. But in doing so, the kids have to also name the mascot and figure out what it can do. So it was kind of a way of trying to understand how kids are thinking about Um, yeah, w w what if I don't have two legs? Or what if I have five hands? Or what if, you know, w what if inside my stomach it's only butterflies? So we were trying to get them to think about, yeah, different bodies, basically. And then also um, something that comes up directly for them is gender, like really directly. Um, I thought that we would have to kind of ask questions about that and install it, but... It happens directly. Um, so I knew we were going to work with objects, and I knew it was going to be something sculptural. But the best practice I know to get into that is to work with what's already in a room. So we did a practice called Rearrange the Room, where um, we would go, we, we went straight into the studio the first day and just really moved stuff around for 30 minutes. But each person had their own uh, part of the room in which they would move things. So they would design that according to, you know, whatever. I think different people move things around, even in their own homes, based on a million different things, right? Like, I don't like, <laughs> because I only have plastic chairs in my house, because I uh, only like soft things, or I really love organizing small things, but bigger spaces I don't want to deal with. So you start to get a sense for how Um, in this case, the dancers were dealing with objects and how they were organizing space, which we then translated to making mascots. Mm. But I think you can see a lot also in how a person relates their body to space in reorganizing a space. And what happens in that practice, which is something that uh, the choreographer Peter Mills proposed during... Um, the creation of, oh, it's a couple pieces ago now, a piece that I made called Any Number of Sunsets. We used it a lot to um, understand, one, how we were dealing with materials. We were building rooms for the last sunset that people would ever see. But we did it with what was already in the room. Uh, and then what you do after the first, like, 30 minutes, and you can change the time frame on it always, is you switch into somebody else's room and you have to deal with their choices. So for me... I, I love this tool from Peter, um, and I think it comes from a workshop he did somewhere else, but I don't remember who it comes from. We've really ta we tailored it a lot for that particular process, so I still use it some. You, when you pass into somebody else's room, you then have to take choices about what you tear down, what you leave alone, um, so you, how you change the space or adapt the space that they've had. And then in the beginning of this process, we went through that over and over again until the dancers had a sense for how they were working together. Then, you know, maybe three days later, we just did one big room together. And still the same things pop up, you know? A certain somebody who likes to organize many small details in a corner. Another somebody who likes to put, you know, big one big swooping object going across the space. So it's also a little bit about how you yeah, express movement in a room through, yeah, objects and materials. Mm. But also, um, I was thinking a lot in this for this piece about what types of materials to use. Um, and 
something I've done with children in the past. I worked in Simri's time with a group of kids where they would reorganize the thing in their classroom to give them kind of like an yeah another way of viewing the things that were in the room with them. Like all those pens are sitting there and we know we write with them and sometimes we have to do tests with them. But what if we could do whatever we wanted with them? Hmm, what happens? And then what happens if we build like our dream space together? What does that look like? So it's also kind of a way for the kids to rethink their classroom because some of the performance happens in the classroom. But yeah, my interest in materials. Mm. Mm. I think it comes I'm partially a, a exposure to visual arts from a really young age. My mom placed a high value on like going to museums or going to galleries or going and seeing, you know, public art outdoors. So those things were an interest, like an interest of mine, for sure. I have an interest in, in space, different spaces. I've worked a lot in public space, a lot in the museum and gallery context and um, old buildings, industrial buildings, things like this also. But yeah, materials to the degree that they can transform a room or transform your experience of being in a room physically, I think. Hmm? <laughs> I have one piece uh, I made after my, I did my master's at Danzigskolan in Stockholm. I made a replica of the very small studio that I worked in for the two years there. So I refused to work in the bigger studios. I only worked in the small one. It was about eight by five, maybe eight by four, eight by five meters. Um, and I built a with the with a with a carpenter who's also a visual artist um, named Gian Manti. We built a wooden room, and I would say that's the piece that has like the least objects and materials inside of it. But then what you deal with is for the whole entire piece. There's there's no extra music, but there's a lot of sound. You deal with the bodies rubbing up against this um, hand planed wood. So even when there's less. Um, let's say plastic and things like that in the room, I think I was interested in, yeah, touch, like the sense of touch probably. Yeah. I would like to talk with you about mentorship mm -hmm. because I know you were a part of this uh, mentorship toolbox mm -hmm. that uh, Mark, right, mm -hmm. made together with Sight. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And... Um, First of all, how how have mentorship been a part of your dance life? Have mm. you had many mentors? Mm. I mean, I think I mentioned at Juilliard, I felt like I had a constant set of mentors for every year I passed through. Some would shift and some would stay. But the way in which they teach is that you also have all this very individual time with the teachers to process what you're doing or like process how you're processing things. <laughs> Um, in uh, so in that way, um, definitely had mentorship early on, and then later in my career, um, I had supervision at Danzigskolan, but I I guess I would call that mentorship also, um, and I would I asked Benoit Champ to work with me, but it was a mentorship that was really framed around doing things together. So um, we were doing things together, but I knew going into that that I wanted more information from him. So I chose, I chose him. I knew what I was asking for. And then over the years, that relationship has <laughs> really shifted in like many different ways, um, officially and unofficially. But I would say that's like, a, that was a that was a time when I had asked for mentorship quite directly, um, even though it was framed as supervision within the, the context of the university. Um, and then when it came to running Mark, uh, when I founded Mark as a residency center, the first years it was in Shivik in Esterland, um, on a farm. And people would come and they would come for quite long because I really wanted people to have long residencies, that they would stay for four weeks and really kind of acclimate to the place, but that we could also see how the place would shift. Place being both 
the physical place, but also the people that were living near and coming to experience work from the artist in residence. I wanted to see how that would play out over a longer period of time. Um, and what happened, though, also was that there's, it's not like there's a, um, uh, it's not like there's a dancer on every corner in Esterland. There are There is dance there, definitely. But we were on a farm. And um, people would go in the studio and maybe I would be the only other dancer that they would meet while they were there. Uh, so, and, and I was playing the role of director. So sometimes I felt that my role was slipping into a mentorship role. Um, and, it, and that's not just with younger artists. It could be any number of things, but I was the one who was there who they could ask to come into the studio if they needed an outside eye. If it was a younger artist, they could ask me, how how do I get money to, to finish this thing I started working on, this thing I'm researching? Or who can help me with this question I have about movement? Whatever it was, I was the one stepping into that role. And in the beginning, it was rather unformed. I was there and I knew I needed to do it because I was the one instigating the whole thing. Um, or the artist you know, came knowing that I was already there. Then I guess they were instigating, but I was saying yes to it. So... I was there to support them. Um, and I had a question. Actually, yeah, I, from Peter Mills again. I talk about Peter. Um, He's a choreographer working in Stockholm. Um, he he asked me, what, what, when are you the director? When are you the mentor? When are you your dancer self going in as a colleague? When are you your choreographer self? Um, and what type of feedback are the people asking for? Because usually the people who were coming to us, they were quite specific. So I could really break it down in a way. Um, so that's where mentorship came on the table as a question. And then sometimes we would get projects from, because I, I think because of the career that I had, the type of dancer that I, the, the type of, let's say, dance institutions I passed through, sometimes we would get applications from people who I knew when they went in the studio, whatever they were going to do was going to be very invested and fantastic. But sometimes they, because they were coming straight out of a company, that that happened a lot. They didn't know how to contextualize their work. Um, yeah, maybe relative to a broader framework. They just knew I need to go in and do my, I need to go do what I want to do now. And so that was when I started thinking a lot around mentorship and how to um, pair people with mentors so that not 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 because I didn't want to keep doing it, but um, mostly because uh, there was a need. And and in thinking about who you would want to mentor one of your projects, perhaps you would also understand something more about your project. So, mm. but we have had a mentorship program at Mark, off and on since oh, I think two thousand fifteen, because the need came up. Mm. Yeah. And then how you what you think mentorship is. I mean, you can even see in that toolbox. <laughs> there's a lot of different opinions written into that toolbox. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say it if it mm. is if you would elevator pitch oh, <laughs> mentorship? Gosh. I mean, for me, I I'm not sure I can say exactly what it is, but I think it's when you have a need for information, let's say, or support, we could also say. And then that 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 you frame what that is for you. I mean, a, one particular person who I reach out to a lot, I asked for, I, I think I quite specifically asked for mentorship in, <laughs> I, I need someone to help me understand how to deal with um, uh, politicians relative to my organization. Mm. Uh, but I asked for maybe the wrong thing. I said, could you sit on my board of directors? And this particular person said, no, I would rather... I would rather stay on the sidelines and be your go-to person to ask those questions. And I can ask you questions back because I know you. I know you as a dancer. So then I can ask you questions that will help you to understand how you're processing things. Mm. For me, that was mentorship for sure. Um, again, maybe not titled as such, but yeah. So I think for me, it's it's like kind of a fluid thing. And in certain contexts, it, it has a very specific definition though. Um, yeah, maybe in a business context, it's a very different thing. Yeah. 
But we, what we came, I think, to understand the, through the toolbox was that in performance, it can mean different things. What we didn't want to do was to frame it as something that was top down. So you always go to your most admired choreographer or um, someone who's considerably older than you that, with more knowledge. Maybe sometimes what you need is mentorship from your, like, clo your close friend who dances for you because they have a particular insight. But then we also, within that toolbox, really, um, we, we aimed to make tools that would help people frame that relationship too. Like, okay, now we call this mentorship. What are the expectations? Mm. Mm. So fuzzy answer maybe, but no, yeah. Right. And there is a quote in this toolbox from you that I'm mm. gonna read mm -hmm. if that's okay. It's fine. <laughs> So it says like this. Perhaps it would help if you didn't take class every day. This suggestion was the beginning of a long relationship with Anna Grip, former director of the Kullberg Ballet. That began when I danced for the Kullberg Ballet in 2008. The second suggestion that comes to mind is perhaps you need to close a door in order for other things to happen. And later, once I had left the company, when I felt I had done badly in a meeting with the choreographer I wanted to work with. Maybe that is exactly what needed to happen. Sometimes these suggestions appeared paradoxical at first. Sometimes frustrating because they undermined hidden values I had as a dancer and my relationship to responsibility and authority. Reflecting upon these suggestions now, I am not sure it is the specific words in these three sentences that have continued to be important for me. Rather, the act of suggesting produced an activation through a seeming lack of activation. It induced a putting everything into question and learn to live with it type of space, <laughs> where I felt safe to see my artistic practice from all sides. I have never called Anna Grip my mentor. She is my mentor. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Nice. Yeah. And when I was speaking about the politicians thing, it was also her. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. 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 And the choreographer in there is Benoit. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but it, hmm. so, so, um, we talked a lot during the mentorship toolbox also about how long is a mentorship. So there's things in there like a contract for how long it is. Mm. Because, I mean, I never asked her to be my my mentor. And I think I think if you asked her that, she'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, um, and that probably comes out of um, not wanting to take that top-down perspective. Mm. Which, which she's, I, I can say, absolutely never treated me that way. Yeah. But I, I do... Um, think in that relationship the thing that makes me the thing that made me write that let's say is that um, I knew that no matter what I went to her with she would read it through the dancer I she knew me as and the fact that what I made what I did with Mark when I'm dealing with politicians for example <laughs> I, with choreographic work um, with asking Benoit to work with him, uh, with Benoit and my relationship now, which is like, still ongoing, um, that she always uh, addresses it through um, my logic as a dancer and how I've shifted over like a great number of years. And I would say that if if I tried to frame that mentorship and like put her in a position where I asked her to mentor me for two whole weeks at this specific time. I don't know that it would work as well as it does now. But um, it was one person I could really like kind of pinpoint as if if I thought somebody was my mentor. Yeah, probably her. Mm. Yeah. I also got interested in this sentence that uh, sometimes it was frustrating because they undermined hidden values oh, I yeah. had as a dancer yeah. and my relationship yeah. to responsibility and authority. Yeah, totally. What What was that? Um, golly. I, I don't know. I think um, as supportive as Juilliard was, I was still in the United States of America when I did that education. And there is sort of this 
uh, x plus x automatically equals blah. Like, I work hard, I ask the right question, the result should be. So for example, when I had this conversation about working with Benoit in a cafe, I didn't feel good that day. I was not on. And I have been taught to be so on, like to always be prepared, to always, um, yeah, have the transaction produce something. Um, and that day when we sat in the cafe, there was babies crying. He can't really handle that much sensory input. It was a very noisy cafe. And the conversation was going all over the place. And I needed and wanted in that moment um, to understand what I was going to be doing the next year, but was still totally involved in this um, relationship I was developing with him uh, as a dancer, having been in one of his pieces at Kohlberg and really admiring him a lot. Um, and we were talking about, like, I don't know, we still do sometimes, like living in trees. And and for me, I walked away and I was like, gosh, I'm not sure what the outcome of this is. So I was so... Um, driven towards understanding what the outcome was. And then that comes from survival also. Like uh, you, when you, um, you, you start young as a dancer and then you build your career, maybe you are always, I, I don't know, I felt like to a degree, I was a little bit greedy about experience. And I would like very strategically set up my next experience. So that particular experience, I sat in it and I went, damn, I could be unemployed next year, um, which I then was, actually. But I, I still had my permanent contract at Kohlberg, but I was, um, uh, Benoit, something happened with the funding for one of the pieces. And I ended up going home uh, and making a piece at the ballet company and went on a leave of absence from Kohlberg, um, applied for some funding, went ahead and uh, applied for the education at DOC, got in. So it set me on this trajectory that was actually rather fantastic, but it's not what I had aimed for. And then I ended up working with him so, so much in the years after that. I think it was just that she was just trying to tell me like, well, maybe, yeah, maybe it's not going to be what you want it to be. And, but maybe you need to also look and see that you're, 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 you're in a dialogue and that's the thing that's important, not the equals that you're, you were trying to get out of it there. Yeah. That, that, that was always hard for me. Also don't take class. Hmm. That was pretty freeing for me actually. But I, um, I was taught to always be in class without questioning it. So I was always in class. So in not taking class for like a period of time, it wasn't exceptionally long, but in not doing that, I had to trust that I, I had enough information in order to take care of myself and that I didn't need that mediator at the front of the room. And it, then it changed the way in which I was taking class. Probably maybe not technically necessarily, but um, that I kind of owned how I passed through a class on any given day. Um, or that I did own it. I probably owned it even when I was there. But it just made me recognize that. Mm. So often it, for me it was, I think, about recognizing my own agency. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I have this uh, final question that mm -hmm. I ask all my guests. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe it's a bit tricky, but you mm -hmm. can interpret it oh, how you want, mm -hmm. and I want to hear your thinking. Mm -hmm. The question is, what is a good dancer? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really enjoy watching when people are busy with something. So, um, over time, I think my values have shifted a lot about that question. Really a lot. Um, But I like watching when people are actively, actively busy with something on stage. Um, and that can be any number of things. Um, could be I'm just moving paper around on stage, but that I'm watching you, I'm really watching you being absorbed in the act of doing that. 
that that would be a good dancer for me. Um, I think I enjoy when dancers, no matter what the like technical range or physical range is, that they um, yeah that they, that they're willing to um, dare to just be in that and explore it. Um, I appreciate dancers who are aware of the situation in the room also while they're busy doing that. Um, generosity, I guess. Hmm. It's a tricky one for me. I think a good dancer, gosh, I mean, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny to think about your relationship to training also. Yes. That, um, also what you said, that maybe the idea about what a good dancer is an idea about training is changing. I think mm -hmm. in school for me, it was then it was clear that you were training to become a good dancer, yes. whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that maybe today training is something I think else. it can be very different. Yeah. yeah. That you are, that you are, um, maybe today can also be that you are like uh, self-driven, that you're able to um, take information that's being given to you, absorb it and process it in your own way. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps it's always been maybe a, a thing that I valued <laughs> or that would characterize a good dancer. Hmm. But yeah, I, I that that's that's what I'm reflecting on, I think, is that I always liked dancers that were really moving gigantic. If I th if I think about like what I thought was a good dancer when I was younger, there was this one woman in the ballet company which is just massively tall and massively muscular. Um extremely, extremely, extremely intelligent, had many other interests than ballet, um, was very clear spatially and extremely grounded, even in like on point, she was really grounded. So I guess that's maybe what was a good dancer for me when I was younger. And and I think I had a value also around pe people being, uh, dancers being, good dancers being able to participate in a creative process, that they could work with a choreographer and they were making their own proposals. Because I saw that even in a ballet company at like age 17, 18, 19, there, I did grow up around dancers who were doing that. And so for me, that was a good dancer. Like when I looked and I saw, oh, wow, wow, that's, that's amazing. How did they dream that up? Um, so maybe that's what I thought a good dancer was before. But I still have some, yeah, I probably still value a lot of those things, most definitely. <gasps> mm. I like when people are critical also, but critical and supportive at the same time. So critical thinkers, people who are willing to challenge situations and also find ways to pass through difficult moments. That's that's always something that a good dancer could have. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>